This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey. Welcome to the Premier League Tonight podcast. The Premier League's best debate show is now available as the Premier League's best podcast. And you can find us on iTunes, Acast and wherever else you get your podcasts from. And we have a Christmas cracker for you this week with Stephen Gerrard, Jermaine Genus and John Hartson joining me at Turf Moor after the visit of Tottenham. Now Sam Allardyce is hoping to continue his unbeaten start tonight at Everton as Chelsea visit Goodison Park. And it was a big day at the bottom as managerless Swansea hosts Palace and West Ham face Newcastle. Right, let's get started. Enjoy. From one striker to another, how good is Harry Kane? Well, he was outstanding. We knew of his ability before today. You know, today again just suggests so. How much of England's best number nine he is at this moment in time? His goal-scoring feats are ridiculous, breaking records all the time. Um, but I thought his hat trick today was magnificent. Not just his goal-scoring, but his all-round general yeah. play as well. So key to that team. Right, lots to talk about. If you want to join in the conversation on this evening's show, just use hashtag PL tonight. We'll run through the headlines of the day in just a couple of moments, but let's just start by hearing from Natalie and Jack, who were at the game today. It was men against boys today. Uh, Burnley had been getting loads of praise this season, but Spurs could have scored five or six. Harry Kane, I think that was his seventh hat-trick of the year. Uh, and overall, equaling Shearer's record is incredible. Oh, that was a really bad day at the office for Burnley. Not uh, not the result we wanted. And actually not the performance we wanted either. I think Burnley were characteristically quite poor. Probably understandable given that half the squad was out and we had to make some changes during the game. Pretty sick note to concede so early on. Not a penalty for me, I think. I'm not enjoying this trend of players um, not bothering creating chances and just diving in the box. But we've got 32 points. We go again on Boxing Day. Natalie goes with the word dive, pulling no punches. We've got the, the opinions of both of these two. What did you make of it from Deli Ali? I thought it was a penalty, yeah. I think there's contacts. Uh, I think he's clever. I, I think he's waiting. Um, 
he's waiting for the contact and he's clever, he's gone over, but I, I do think uh, it was a penalty, certainty. It's a recurring theme here, isn't it? Everyone who's actually played the game believes it was a penalty. Um, and there's lots of comments coming in, actually, uh, for Deli Alley, also for Harry Kane. Um, Ollie says, I love Deli Alley. It's so nice to have a player who everybody else hates. Um, Owen Hughes, <laughs> Deli Alley is the player that is going to get sent off at the World Cup next year in a match with England, then go on to lose. Um, Michael, Deli Alley is going down from less contact than Niasi and Lanzini had, but is being defended to the hilt and was apparently entitled to go down. Um, let's talk about Harry Kane quickly. Raj says, for as long as I live, I don't think I'll ever love a Tottenham player more than I do Harry Kane. Um, and uh, here's one, right, Robert, boys, after seeing the Kane Masterclass, who was the best striker you've played with and why? Go on, Stephen. Played with loads of top, top strikers. Um, Suarez is probably the best if you're talking about an all-round um, number nine. Why? You've done a bit of everything because... His work rate, um, his desire, his commitment. He could score unbelievable goals. He could score tappings. He could ruin a defence on his own. And, and he was a match winner. For you personally, he was the favourite, was he? You liked playing with him the most? Um, Torres and Owen were, were, were probably slightly more because I was in, in, in my prime and um, I was on the same wavelength as them and there were more runners in behind. But you said he was the best centre-forward yeah. I've played with and that's why it is. Go on then, Jermaine. Uh, yeah, very fortunate actually. People like Robbie Keane, Jermaine Defoe, Berbatov, to name a few. But I have to say, the you know the one that stands out is probably the guy that Harry Kane's chasing. You know, the four years I spent at Newcastle with, with Alan Shearer. Um, I mean, the demand that he put on you as a midfield player, his wingers, to get the ball in the box, get the ball to. What was he it. like in training, not just on the pitch? It was exactly the same. It was just that intense, intense the work ethic, the uh, the repetition. You know, like on Fridays, for example, like him and Shay Given would have their own like little sportsman's bet, and he'd take ten penalties every Friday, and you knew where he was going. And Shay knew where he was going every Friday. Just bang, top corner, top corner, top corner. You just couldn't stop it. It was unreal. But Shay still took the bet every Friday and lost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, what about you, John? Yourself, probably. Again, like the boy. I don't know about that. <laughs> Again, like the boys. I, I played with so many. Uh, when I went to Arsenal. George Graham said to me, he said, John, you signed for me today. He said, you make your debut on Saturday with the current England centre-forward, who was Ian Wright. Yeah. Then Dennis Bergkamp arrived, who, who was just an absolute magician, Dennis Bergkamp. What was it like when Dennis first arrived in training and you just got the glimpse of this guy? Well, if Dennis Bergkamp played in the snow, he, he wouldn't leave any footprints. You know, that, that's how good he was. <laughs> he, he used to float. He was just ridiculous, yeah. Dennis's touch. And if you watch his 100 goals for Arsenal, or over his career, Dennis Bergkamp's best goals. Some of the goals are just out yeah. of this world. They really were. But I can't, obviously, not leave Henrik Larsson out. I think if I had to choose one, I'd probably say Henrik. Yeah. And Henrik and Ian Wright, uh, Dennis, they were such naturally gifted players. When, when a player like that comes to a football club, do you, do you, do you doubt your own abilities because someone so brilliant has arrived? Or as a player, are you just thinking, thank goodness, this is going to be so nice playing? I think it's a joy to work with them yeah. every day. You know, some players might not get to that level so you've just got to look up to them and admire them and and obviously you've got to embrace the experience as well you can't be too in awe of these guys because you've got to go and play with them week they, in week out they give out. you a better chance of winning and winning silverware yeah. is given out at the end of the season they give you a better chance it gives you a buzz they lift the quality in training I, I used to buzz off playing with top players even if they come in in the position that you play 
That doesn't bother uh, players. No, I don't like that so much. <laughs> <laughs> about number nines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Strikers, good. Midfielders, yeah, no. <laughs> not so good. All right, let's uh, run through the headlines then from today. It's been another incredible day in the Premier League. Tune in tune. There he is, Dwight Gale, looking very happy indeed. They needed that win as well today. 3-2 over West Ham. Rafa Benitez, after laying down an ultimatum in the week, will be a happy man. A maximum points, you see what we've done there. Um, that man scored once again. Maxim Chupa moting he picks up the points for Stoke. And boy, oh boy, Mark Hughes needed a win out of that one today as well. And Swans stand strong. We're all really pleased for Leon Britton. He's been on the programme. He's one of the nice guys of football. He's been given a chance there. It's a really difficult job. And we'll talk, actually, uh, about Swansea um, in just a couple of moments. But right now, let's uh, let's discuss let's discuss the Swans. Um, they were a model club a few years ago. What's happened now? They've sacked three managers in the last 14 months. Um, they've sold their best players. They bring a guy in who's never managed before. What, what is happening at Swansea, John? Well, Swansea always played with an identity. They, they played with overlapping fullbacks. One was Angel Rangel, the other one was Neil Taylor. They had pace out wide. They'd supply the centre forward with, with chances. They had Dyer and Routledge. Even going back 10, 11 years ago, they had Lee Trundle on the left, Andy Robinson and Jason Scotland. They'd always played with a solid back four. Um, and in the last few years, Sigerson has been that link man, if you like, that can get it and get on the half turn. Technically, he was, he's one of the best around. Mm. And they've just went to a three. I don't think the recruitment has been great. They've changed the style. They've not brought in the quality of player that they used to have. Because Swansea City were renowned for being a great passing team. Mm. They would go anywhere in the country and pass teams you know, have more possession, if you like, passing possession than them. And they just seem to have gone away from that. And that they sell players, they make a lot of money on players, and they, bring, and they, they don't really put that money back in. They might put it in in wages. Wilfred Borney, big wages. Laurenti, big wages. Sigurdsson, big wages. But in terms of the fans want to see, they see a, one of their star players like a Williams leaving for a measly 12 million. Jack Cork came to Burnley for 10 million. Jack Cork was meant to be the long-term replacement for, for Leon Britton. Jack Cork's got recently got into the England setup. You know, so for me, they've just lost their way a little bit as well. The managerial turnaround, you know. You've got, you've got to say your best your players every single year. Mm and expect to get away with it mm. you know for a number of years have gone on oh, me has gone oh then bonnie comes in and he, he does okay then then they say well for um bony and they replace him again with somebody else and you think well how are they doing it same with the managers brendan rogers did a great job down there and obviously loudrup came in did a good job and you think well they're actually getting away with it you can't keep selling for a club like swansea your best players every single year and expecting to stay in the premier league but and when they're, they're brendan a tough and michael now. came in jermaine they they carried on that philosophy they added one or two, but they carried on mm. that passing game. They don't pass teams, mm. you know. Quick, but you could see crisp. the plan. You could understand yes. what. Yeah. I don't know what. That's like what are Swansea and now? They've, they've gone away from that. They've gone away from that Swansea and the philosophy. That you, they you talk very knowledgeably about it. Are you not angry about it when you see the way the club is just sort of slowly sliding? I'm not really angry about it because I lived in Swansea for nine years. And there were six or seven managers that had come into the club, all sorts of 10, 12, 15 different assistants. And they never even looked my way in terms of even coming in once or mm. twice and, you know, working with the strikers. They never ever gave me an opportunity. So, did yes. Did you give them a chance? I mean, did you ever speak to them? Yeah, they, they, they would have known about my interest, of course. I was doing nothing that time. I was just doing bits and bobs of media. And I'm, I've recently moved up to Edinburgh. And I got a little bit disillusioned mm. by that because I'm seeing this one being given a job, that one getting the sack, that one. And there was nobody better to teach the strikers. 
than myself yeah. with the career that I have. Would you I still had. want to go in now and do a bit? I don't think so. I'm living in Edinburgh now, so I, I don't think they, they would be an approach from Swansea. I don't think I'm in there thinking. And I, obviously, I wish them well. I wish Leon well. Leon's a, a text him the other day. I wished him well. He's a good friend of mine. But I don't think I'm in there thinking. And obviously, I'm building a house in Edinburgh. I'm active. I'm doing a bit of coaching at Livingston once or twice a week. And I'm enjoying that side of things now. But I was, at, I was in Swansea for nine years, and I never, ever felt that... You know, they, they used me enough, really. Okay, it was a big day today for Leon Britton. Let's get some reaction from the game now. Not as much. I mean, in terms of enjoying it, you know, I enjoyed it as much as I could. Obviously, um, there's been a lot going on um, the last couple of days, and it's all, all very new to myself being out there in the technical area. But um, no, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed being out there. Um, you know, 90 minutes. I think you enjoy it more because we've got we've got some form of result. But in terms of the full time job. You know, like I said in, in the press the other day, it's not something I'm looking to do uh, on a permanent basis at the moment. Maybe somewhere down the line, you know, I'm not, I'm not ruling it out, but at this moment in time, um, you know, I'm not looking to do that. So it's not for Leon in the long term at the moment. How difficult is it, do you think, to go from being a player in a dressing room to just suddenly being asked to manage the players, to go in, pick the team, do the team talk? Yeah, of course it's difficult because he's probably very friendly with a lot of the players. He'll have to drop a few, he'll, he'll have to... Upset if you bring a few in that um, you know he believes in that maybe the previous manager did, but I think he said the right thing there. I think he's been very sensible. You know, it, it's very new. He's, he, he's going to get a taste of it. I think long term he fancies a go at it, um, but I think he's been clever because if he comes out now and says, "Yeah, I definitely won 100%," and a few results don't go well, he may never get that chance ever again. Equally, four, the David, four wins on the spin. Situation. After this, and he, it might be a different story from him if they suddenly start winning games, surely. I agree. He'll get a taste for it, won't he? I agree. I think, you know, it's all about results, isn't it? And all of a sudden, he might win his next four. But uh, I, think, I think what he's saying, he's absolutely right, because he doesn't want the fans to think that he's the one that has taken Swansea City down. And he's been put in a position. I don't think he should feel that way, because I think he should just go and embrace it. I don't think there's any real pressure on him. He's never managed before. He's, he's, he's an interim sort of... In, he's been put in as an interim manager. I think the thing is, if he says he wants it and the results don't go well and the new manager comes in, the new manager thinks, well, he, he, I don't trust him because he wants my job and, and gets him out and he might want to stay at Swansea long term. So I think he's just yes. being very it's sensible and very respectable of the situation. And now they've got to find someone to come in if, indeed, Leon doesn't want to take the job or doesn't get offered the job full-time. Um, and there's a, there's a few names knocking around. I mean, the favourite at the moment is Frank Dubois. I don't know how these odds work. I mean, this is a guy who's lost his last two jobs, really struggled in his most recent job. Slavin Bilic, Tony Pulis, both of the lost Premier League jobs um, in the last few months. It's not an easy place to go in, though, is it? They just sold their best players. They're struggling. Well, that's right. And, you know, they, they need somebody to make an impact like Paul Clement made... Yeah. When he came in this time last year, but he had better players to work with. He had Laurenti at the club, he had Sigurdsson pulling a lot of strings for him. So it is a difficult uh, job right now, yes. It might be one of those situations where they have a, co a conversation with those managers and get a feeling of the players that they may be able to bring to the club in January, which may sway their decision a little bit. OK, uh, there's, there's lots to talk about. Um, there's one thing that we, we need to discuss, which is something that happened um, earlier on today, which we're going to uh, discuss, I think, with, uh, with Graham Pohl. Um, Graham, th there was this situation in the Southampton-Huddersfield game, um, and it was Charlie Austin on the Huddersfield goalkeeper. First of all, if, if you could just explain exactly what happened in the match for us. Yeah, the ball goes through and uh, it goes. Jonas Lossel goes down to ground and gets the ball cleanly, no question. Charlie Austin is is running in on it. He's got no chance of playing the ball. The ball doesn't pop out of the keeper and then back into his arms. 
and for some reason Charlie decides to just chuck his boot into the face of Lursel and, and he cuts his nose, he ga you know, gashes the bridge of his nose and it, it's just an unnecessary act. I don't know why he did it, there didn't seem to be anything happened before that in the game, you know, it wasn't a, a revenge act or anything and for some reason, I don't understand why, Lee Probert doesn't see it and it's, it's something that's on the ball, there's nothing happened, the game isn't stopped and he, he doesn't see it and, uh, and therefore Charlie Austin's got away with one. OK, uh, stay with us Graham. you were all watching the early games, did it look like a deliberate act from Charlie Austin that? As Graham said, it just looked needless yeah. for me. He didn't really need to do it. The goalkeeper had the ball in his arms. Charlie was never going to kick the ball out of his arms. He was never going to get the ball back. And then he just leaves his, 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 his studs and he's caught the goalkeeper in the face. It, it was just needless, but there was no need for it. And I think he'll get done now. It's a, it's a bit out of character as well for Charlie. It is, yeah. you just, you know, going in on a hard tackle is one thing. Hanging your boot into someone's face at the speed that he was running is something a bit different, isn't it? Well, you know, sometimes players get it wrong. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Charlie says anything on it, but he'll definitely get done for it. Yeah, and I think he's got one wrong here. You know, the character, he's, it's not like him. He's not a nasty player. He's not a vicious player, but he's got one wrong today. And I think he has to put his hand Sometimes, on. though, when you're playing football, do you do those things in the heat of the moment? And it all happens so quick. You kind of Your brain says to you, as you're doing it, this is going to get you in trouble. But well, well, it's I almost have... like an instinctive... I have, and I've, I've held my hand up. And, you know, I've phoned that a player uh, personally away from... The spotlight and apologise, you know, everyone's human, Jake, we all make mistakes and I think Charlie has got one wrong there, but I've watched him for many, many years and he's not a nasty player, he's not vicious to defend them, but he's got one wrong today. Where, where, where that is weird though, Steve, is that, that would be in a challenge, you know, maybe the ball gets away from you and you'd, you'd go in late. Mm. This, it was, it was so random. It was so weird. It was almost like, why was he dangling his boot, you know, near Lossell's face in the first place? It didn't make any sense. So, um, you know, as the lads are saying, he's going to get done for it. But it's totally out of character for him. It's just not who he is. So I'm, I'm very baffled by it. But unfortunately, yeah. Well, unfortunately, I don't know how you take it. He's going to get Christmas at home. <laughs> <laughs> not very fortunate if you're Southampton and he's your top scorer and you're struggling for goals. Let's just get the thoughts yeah. of the two managers, actually. Uh, as I said, uh, this should usually never happened uh, that a opponent hurts an opponent in purpose even if I don't like to say he has done it in purpose but it looks like and uh, as I said this should never happen. I don't think that Charlie goes, got bad intention in this moment but it's part of football sometimes. Our football is a sport with a lot of contacts. That's two different reactions from two different managers, as you might expect. Graham, just give us exactly what will happen now with the FA, who's going to be on the panel and what are the options open to them? Well, I think it will get referred, first of all, because it's, it's clear and I think we can all see it. It's, it's one that... It's difficult. Lee Probert restarts the game with a free kick, so it kind of indicates he's seen something, but, but clearly hasn't seen what it is. And he'll, he'll probably say he was blocked from, from the actual contact by, by Charlie Austin's body, I would imagine. So therefore they can act. It'll get referred to the panel, which is uh, three, three former referees uh, who then will sit and I'm sure will we'll get him banned for three matches. So it's going to be a three-game ban. Um, I suppose the only positive is it looked like he went off with a hamstring injury, so it might coincide with him having a bit of time on the sidelines. Thanks, Graham. Um, and the Huddersfield goalkeeper didn't take long to also tweet a picture with the stereo strips on his nose. These, these players love a little bit of social media when they've had a bash in the face, don't they? They do. They do milk it a bit, and um, <laughs> they bring it even more to the FA's attention. But, you know, it, it was clear. Part of the game? Say, yep. Yeah, he looks really... Oh. <laughs> nice and brave, yeah. Nice and brave. That is the least sympathetic R you could have ever delivered. <laughs> right, let's move things on then and talk now about Newcastle. We'll start from hearing from the Newcastle fan, Lee Lawler. Here's Lee's thoughts. 
Rafa Benitez, Rafa Benitez. Aye, that feels absolutely unreal to win. Merry Christmas to you. Newcastle have got three points. Everyone's out of the moon. The tune's got to be in spirits. What a win. What a performance by the lads. The key decision, well, the key aspect of the game was that Rob Elliott save, the penalty save. If he doesn't save that, totally different game. It wasn't even a penalty in the first place. Newcastle claim out of the relegation zone. Sees later. Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's what the first win in 10 does for you if you're a Newcastle fan. But does that change your opinion of this Newcastle side and the qualities they've got and their chances of staying in the league? Um, it's a tough one, that. You know, I, what I do know is Benitez is absolutely creating miracles at, yeah. at St James's Park and for that club because, in my opinion, it is a championship side uh, and what he's doing with them and the position that he got them into with those early results um, is, is what will save them if they do stay up. You know, results like today, obviously, as well. And the fans, the fans have a massive part to play at St James's Park. They really do. And I think that if they can just get to that understanding that the quality that they need maybe isn't there, which it feels like they do understand that, then that's what will give them the best chance to survive as well. But, yeah, he's, he's doing an unbelievable job. Yeah. yeah, they're lucky to have him. I've worked with him. Mm. Um, so organised. And I think... They're above the relegation and, and surviving well because of him. I think if he was to walk out uh, with a fallout with the owners or anything like that, I think he could struggle and go down. What did you think of the, the statement he came out with this week, which is where he said Mike Ashley knows we need new players and he has to deliver those players by the 20th of January? You wonder what happens on the 21st of January if Rafa doesn't think they've done good business, don't you? It wouldn't surprise me if he walked at that moment. Um, what Rafa does is he comes to a club, um, he says all the right things and then he gains a bit of power and he, he, he says what he really, really believes. You know, he done it at Liverpool and, and said a, th a few uh, ambitious things and, you know, he's got all the support of the tune up there. He's got the meeting out of his hand because of the promotion and, and because they know he's such a top manager and now he's starting to be really powerful in what he says. He's earned that, Jake. You know, he's, he's been loyal. He, mm. he didn't have to stay. He stayed and got them back into the Premier League. And not only that, he's obviously kicking on with them. Um, I think they'd be foolish to not listen to him. And even if it is a matter of him getting that power at the club, he knows what he's talking about. Mm. He's been doing it for years. And he knows how to keep them in the league. But I'm not sure that Mike Ashley is the kind of chairman, if indeed he's still owning the club at, come the 20th of January, to accept ultimatums from managers. That's just not the way Mike Ashley runs that club. Well, it could be a case of if Mike Ashley puts his hand in his pocket and gives Rafa... 20, 25 million pounds to go and spend in January. The club surely will will benefit from that because they'll get more money for the club if it's a Premier League club. If Mike Ashley doesn't want to spend any money in January and they go down... And Rafa walks. And Rafa walks, mm. all of a sudden they're in a position where now they're the Championship club, they've got to spend fortunes to come back up. So it might be in, in, um, in Mike Ashley's interest to give Rafa a top manager the money... It's a gamble, but it's got to be a gamble for me that think, he's willing to take. I think he's covering his own back as well because he won't want that on his CV to take Newcastle down. No. So he's thinking, well, if the money doesn't come, I'm not taking the blame for mm. this if it goes wrong. And, and rightly so, I don't mm. think he deserves that because he's done a top job there. So mm. I think he's being powerful, but he's being clever because if he gets money, he knows he'll keep them up. And if he doesn't, he knows they've got a chance of going down and he won't want that on But you CV. also believe he's a man of his word. If he, if he wakes up on the 21st of January and is genuinely not happy, he's the kind of guy that will just... Well, he'll want a bigger job in world football. So if he keeps Newcastle up, he's come in, he's got them promoted, then he's kept them in the league, that gives him a 
better chance of getting that bigger job. If he stays there and no money comes and he takes them down, that could ruin his chances of getting a better job further down the line. Will it though, Steve? Will it? On, on the back of his CV and, and well, how good he is and how well-known well, he is it, around it, the if world. If you take a Premier League team down, surely it has some kind of impact but when what, you're in it. But won't people look at the team, the quality, with, you know, could he work Yeah, with but that? he's made a lot of them signings as well. Mm. You know, he can't be shifting all the blame to Mike Ashley and having no money because he has spent, spent mm. a bit. Mm. Um, but not enough. Okay, uh, let's have a, a quick mention on Stoke. Your old mate Mark Hughes needed that win today. Big but win today. It's, it's fair to say, for Stoke fans, that feels like papering over the cracks a bit. Yeah. This needs to be a sustained change in form, doesn't it? Well, the Stoke fans seem to have turned against Mark Hughes and, 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 um, and his staff, and they want him out, basically. It just seems as if they've just made their mind up and they want him out. They want to see a, a, a fresh face. They want to see somebody coming. They want a new challenge. But if you look at Mark Hughes as manager of Stoke, I think they finished ninth three consecutive seasons. I believe they were comfortable, safe last season. What what do Stoke fans, what, what are they looking well, probably for? Probably progress, because if you have finished ninth and they have the last two seasons finished ninth, what you don't want yeah, to be is in a relegation But how scrap? would you progress with a, with a club like Stoke unless the chairman's throwing in multi-millions of pounds? Can they realistically finish in the top six? I don't think they can. That's a massively competitive sort of place to try and get to. So what do they want? Do, do, do they just, is, has, has it become a little bit personal now mm. where they're just fed up with the football? You know, I think he's, he's probably paying, uh, paying for making them punch above the weight for, mm. for a couple of years. You know, getting them to finish ninth and changing the style and the playing so well. Difficult place to go. Now that they fell a bit short to that, he's yeah. paying the price. You're making Rod your own back in that situation. Yeah, sort of. Really. But you know, where do you go from there? You see yeah. the list of managers available for the Swansea job. If Mark Hughes goes now, who do you go for? That's right. Be interested to see the Stoke fans and say to them, well, who do you want? Yeah. Who do you want? You weren't happy with Poulos towards the end of his reign. You're not now happy with Mark Hughes. Or would you like? Someone that keeps him fed up the table is their answer, but there's no guarantees, is there, mm. in football? Certainly not. Like, guys, there's something I want to pick up on from uh, what Rio Ferdinand said last week, which is that he, he started off life as a number 10 and then he was moved towards the back. Uh, you obviously all had brilliant careers in midfield and up front. Was that always where you were sort of destined to play, do you think? Uh, I always wanted to play as a centre midfielder, but I, I was one of the players that, didn't really mind as long as I was in the starting eleven, and, and certainly just before I broke into the Liverpool team, I'd have took my chance anyway. Mine came as a, a right right back, Tottenham away, Ginola, and it was nearly my last game actually. Uh, got the Shepherds on about 53 minutes, so I tagged off. Um, How old were you? 18, yeah. So you were 18? It was nearly my first match. He played you right back up against David Ginola. Yeah, thanks very much, Gerard, for that. Ideal, that is it? Wow. No idea. Do you remember the, what, what was your feeling when you saw your number? I just remember thinking, oh. I don't belong here. Because <laughs> he, he was much stronger, he was bigger, he could go left, he could yeah. go right. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a solid afternoon. What's it like when you sort of first step up to the first team? And I don't know, you probably get your first chance on the bench and you sit there that close up watching a first team game thinking, I've got to step, I've got to step into this soon. Yeah, it can be intimidating, it can be terrifying. I think it takes you, you know, 10, 20, even not 30 games just to get used to it. Get a I nice feeling. I remember um, David Pleat used to, uh, started at Luton, and David Pleat used to have the, um, we'd be training the youth team, and uh, David Pleat would be taking the first team. And he'd call four or five of the youth team players over just to go through set pieces and just to make up the bodies. He'd, he'd be looking at the next day's game. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to get over there. I couldn't wait to get over there and, and, and sort of smash the centre-halves. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
that, that were in the first team because I used to think to myself, well, I'm going up against senior players here. Oh. This is my chance. You know, and they'd see me come over and they go, oh my God, no, not today. <laughs> no, but that, that was my attitude. I, I wanted to get in and I wanted to prove I was physically able. You know. there, there must have also though, been an element of the players that were in the first team. When these kids come across, they want to teach you a little lesson as well. Just let you know what it's like when you stepped up to the first team, no? You do. I mean, I remember Andy Johnson, you remember him from Norwich. Yeah, Norwich he, yeah. he was, uh, he was kind of in the midfield at Forest. Yeah, yeah, when I, when I came yeah. through, and I was a bit of like the name kind of coming through at Forest. He's the next one that's going to come through. And I remember going into midfield in a training session and I'm getting on the ball, I'm running it, I'm thinking, oh, I've, I've got him on toast here. And then next thing, it's just bang, deal with that. And they're just the little things that you just, you don't realise when you kind of step up to that level of uh, a professionalism. And yeah, he made sure I realised that it was going to be a lot harder than I thought to take his position. It's quite important though, isn't it, that? I mean, you, you need to realise as a youngster what this is about, don't you? Yeah, of course. The, the level, it's different from, from the reserves or the youth team. It's a step up in terms of quality. And, and the first team players let you know that. So you've got to adapt and you've got to get up to speed as quick as you can. Um, but as John said, you know, it's your moments, your adrenaline's pumping yeah. and you just want to make the most of it. Talking about positions, I, I had a little spell at centre-half when I was at Forest in the, in the reserves. Yeah, my manager basically told me I want, they didn't win enough headers. So he says you're going to play centre-half for a season. As a little lesson, just to teach you... Uh... I was the skinniest... <laughs> Bean pole you've ever seen. And the first seed a bit of that, John. Well, the, fir <laughs> the first game I came across in the Resis was against uh, Peter Crouch and Les Ferdinand against All the Thomas. Best. Oh, no. Nightmare. All the best. Memories of that day? I just didn't try and Painful. win anything. I just every, every time you try and go for a header, just drop off. I mean, to be fair, Crouch has never been the quickest. So I knew I was all right. Just let him head it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, was there a, obviously, you always played as a centre forward right from being a young lad. Do you remember the day that you thought this is going to happen for me? I've got, I've got what it takes as a striker to make it in the professional game. Was it when you arrived at Luton? Is that? Yeah, well, I was quickly in the first team. David Pleat threw me in at 17 and I scored on my debut against Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest. And um, I think I played 50 odd times for Luton. Then I got, I got a huge move. Britain's most expensive teenager yeah. at the time. Arsenal at 19 years of age. And again, then you, you're at a different level. I'm going in, I'm playing, I'm playing with superstars. You know, the Mersons, the Bergkamps, the, uh, the, the Vieiras, you know, the, the, the England back four, basically. Dixon, Adams, Keown, Winterburn, Seaman. And straight away you're thinking, you know, as Stevie just said there, it, you know, the game is so much quicker. I'm playing at Highbury. Um, but then you think to yourself, well, I'm getting games. I'm getting mm. games under George Graham and big games every week. You know, there's no respite. You can't just take it easy. Mm. Every game is a big game in the Premier League and that's the way I thought. Because I guess as a lad, you're head and shoulders above everybody else. You must sort of slowly see that moment when you're not miles ahead of all the other players and actually it just starts to level out and you realise that you're, you're reaching your, your level. It definitely levels out because you're coming into an environment that's full of, of international players. I mean, some of my early training sessions, you had Paul Ince, Jamie Redknapp, Steve McMahon, I'm an all-England international. Are you not intimidated, though, in that environment? How? I, wasn't, I was never intimidated. I don't think you without, can without, be intimidated. Being, without being big at it, I just... Yeah. I was obsessed with... I wanted to, to impress them and, and show them that I belonged in amongst them. Do you remember that feeling? Yeah, there's part of being a professional footballer, Jay, you go through a period when you're young where you've just got to step up. You know, all of this kind of feeling in intimidated. Players smell fear. You know, I saw yeah. players kind of come into training, whether it was with England, whether it was kind of joining the first team, and you just want to shake them and just go, just wh whatever it is that you, you're feeling right now, you need to get rid of it. And you need to have this bit more of arrogance about you, I don't care type attitude. If it means hitting a few in a tackle or having a shot. That's what Harry Kane was like as a kid. People right. used to go mad at him because he used to shoot on sight. 
and they'd be like, any chance of you passing the ball? He would not pass to anyone. It left foot shoot. So doesn't doesn't matter. Over, we go way over the bar. Right yeah. foot shoot goes wide, and Kino used to go crazy at him, like just get your head up, find someone. Look at him now, you know. And he had that arrogance about himself to say, I don't care. I'm gonna. I, I think gonna take as well. Opportunity. I think as well. Once or twice, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. I wasn't in awe of one or two players that I that I played against. You know, not so much generally the players that I was playing with, but if I'd come up playing against Newcastle and I've got a Mark Alan Shearer from a corner, yeah. I'm in awe of him. Did that affect you? Not really. You've still, you still got to do your best. You can't show him that you're intimidated. And when you go to... When you play against Everton and it's last minute, it's 1-1 and you've got a Mark Duncan Ferguson from, mm -hmm. from a defensive corner. Good luck. And he's... He's running 20 feet, he's six foot four, and he's jumping seven foot eight. <laughs> and I've got to block him. <laughs> Thank you to myself. All the best here. Much easier sitting here, isn't it? Absolutely. Much easier sitting here. Okay. It's been a big old day right across the Premier League. Four goals for Manchester City today. But one of the issues today for Chelsea was having no firepower. And this is, they were left in this stupid situation because um, Avamo Murata celebrated his goal um, and he got the yellow card. He was suspended for today, um, which got us thinking about silly bookings. I mean, I'm guessing this is something that you've all experienced in your time as a football player, that booking where you just think, why, why did I do that? Why did I, I asked you earlier and you were like, how many do you want? <laughs> how long we got? Yeah. <laughs> No, I think there, there was obviously certain times when if if you look back, uh, you wouldn't have quite made them challenges. And I think when you're young, you're quite naive. The one good thing about getting older and getting older as a footballer and the more games you play, you get wiser. You know, and my my um, my record, my discipline record, as I got further on in my career, <laughs> certainly improved. I think I had five or six sending-offs up until I was 26. And the other thing was Martin O'Neill hated ill-discipline. I think he got that from Brian Clough because he used to say to us, look, guys, we can't win with 10 men. Yeah. It's hard enough to win with the 11. If we go goal down, you know, yeah, if we go a man down, you're no good to me. So certainly my, my, my discipline record certainly improved as I got older because I started to learn a little bit more about my own responsibilities. And uh, that certainly was, was the way it was for me. What about you, Jermaine? Um, I want that type of player, Jake. To be honest with you, I got—I mean, don't get me wrong—got a lot of bookings, but nothing, nothing ridiculous. The one that sticks out to me, which I remember Harry Redknapp absolutely having a go at me about one one time after a game, was against West Brom away. We've gone down to ten men. I've gone into centre half. I think we're getting beat comfortably, um, and basically I, my coughs—I can feel it's about to go, and it, it's gone as I've gone to sprint. Um, players getting away from me, and I've just. Took what? him out completely. Took the yellow card. In my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to be out for yeah. two, three weeks here anyway. I might as well get the fifth booking of the season and, and take the suspension. I've gone in at <laughs> half-time and he's absolutely battered me. What are you doing? That's ill-discipline. He wouldn't he listen to what I had to say. Even, if, even though you told him? I told him. Well, I didn't. I, I'd let him have a go. When managers are in that mode, you don't, you don't come back. I just let him do what he was doing. When I got back to training ground, I explained the situation. Did you still come off because of the cuff? No, I'd just stayed. We, I think we'd, we'd already done all the substitutions. It's like last throw of the dice right, type right, stuff. Right. Do you know what I mean? We were getting beat and yeah, Carf had gone. It takes so. a lot to annoy Harry as well. You'd be surprised. It's not, <laughs> not that much. Yeah. That's a chat for another day. Um, talking of Maratta celebrating, I mean, you were, you were famous for that, weren't you? The number of times. I, I don't I like the, the yellow cards for celebrating, though, because you don't. You know, How many did these you get? people don't understand when you score. You, you get lost the in the moment, your emotions are flying, and you shouldn't really be punished for, for celebrating a goal with your fans. So I hate them ones, but he kicks the ball away after and he, yeah. he's lost his head a bit, but. I think every player across the board has been guilty you, you of that. Were a, mm. Steve, you were a physical player. You you loved oh, yeah. a good munching tackle. Yeah, yeah. 
And the thing is, as, Jake, as um, Jermaine said, some players are not that type. Yeah. I loved the physical side of the game. I reveled in that contact with the centre-half. So naturally, if you're that way inclined, mm. you're going to pick up more, mm. more sending-offs yeah. because you're going to miss time one or two. Naturally. Or three or four. <laughs> I was going to say. And there were certain sending-offs that I regretted. <laughs> there was other sending-offs that I, yeah. I don't regret. Really? No. Why I won't not? say any names. Well, because you didn't like the player? Well, because you, you, you're given well, sometimes you're given you log one. You sometimes can. you log one. You yeah. Know, yeah. Maybe someone's rattled me in a game and blah, blah, and I haven't got the chance and, and it's just, you just log it the mm. next time you play against them. So it's sort of premeditated even though you know it's gonna ba you're yeah, going to be not, the one not, that not, gets Not to it. intentionally hurt anyone, mm. but if someone's going to smash me, I'm, I'm not going to let them get away with that. Remember, I'm playing against Razor Ruddock every week and... Yeah. You know, and it Dave, was different and, though, wasn't and, it? And it was Dave, different. And Dave Watson and Gary Pallister and Colin Hendry and these said that I was all coming in the back of me. Twenty years ago, you 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 were allowed to, Have you a know, back, yeah, yeah, absolutely right, and you get away with a bit more as well. Well, Graham Pohl's part of our team. Graham, did you sometimes on a field pick up on the fact that Jermaine's left one on Stephen, and you're suddenly watching it, thinking, "Hold on a minute, I need to keep my eye on him because I think he's he's planning on getting a bit of retribution." Were you aware of that as a ref? Yeah, without a doubt. And you talk to the player and say, you know, I know what's happened. Don't do anything silly. I'm watching you for the next few minutes. So you try and pre-handle it and, uh, and, and hopefully that would work and you keep quite close to the player. And uh, the one thing I'd say to Stephen, we hate ref uh, cautioning players for goal scoring celebrations. We think it's a silly booking, shouldn't be in the laws of the game, but we have to apply it because that's the law. But we don't want to do it. Yeah, I understand that. But st still as a player, you... Even though you know the rules, you still yeah. get so lost. So you were in the running moment. to the home fans, you knew you were like, I'm going to get well, a yellow for this. Yeah, but just sometimes you just get lost in the moment. And fans love it, yeah. yeah. And, and you want to celebrate with them, you know, you, especially if it's a big goal. You know, if it's a winner or if yeah. it, it's to keep you in a competition. and Get through um, the Champions League. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad time. Yeah, not bad, yeah. Graham, what about sort of silly yellow, card, silly yellow cards, silly bookings? You must have given out a few in your time. Yeah, a couple. I mean, I, I stupid <laughs> caution on Frank Lampard for uh, for celebrating scoring a penalty at Anfield, which is a bit daft. But uh, the best one, I think, was a Champions League game, match day five, and and a player definitely wanted to get booked. Made sure Real Madrid had won the game three 0 and the next minute. He just shoved someone off the ball, says yellow card. I said, no, 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 it's a nice, easy game, just go away. No, I want yellow card. And I'm like, OK, fair enough, that's what you want. It was Ivan Helguera, who I didn't realise was then suspended match day six. Um, so he just wanted the yellow card. And as soon as I booked him, he was subbed. Luckily, when I got to my dressing room, there was his shirt on my peg. So he must have said thank you, I guess. Um, but have you still got the shirt? Oh, yeah. That's unreal, that, isn't it? I would almost not book him because he wants to be booked, you know? Well, I wasn't going to, but I thought he might hurt someone, and you're better off if that's what he's going to do. You think, well, I'll get, I'll do the yellow card for you, and then you can go off because um, you don't want someone to get hurt. Amazing, amazing story. Right, we are talking about Christmas, and so many of you have been sending us messages over the last 24 hours telling us when football has made or ruined your Christmas. Have a look at these. Three. We'll put five past Manchester United. We'll put seven past Spurs. We're ahead with Christmas. We're going into New Year, sitting fourth in the table. And then Kevin Keegan drops the bombshell. Keegan walks out of the club. The city is in a standstill. Everybody's in shock reading in local newspapers. Everybody can't believe it. Why did you do it, Kevin? Had to leave the in-laws' house on the Isle of Wight to go and watch Southampton get thumped by Arsenal. We hadn't won for something like eight games. And then, surprise, surprise, our right-back, Cuco Martinez, screams in a goal of the season contender and we go on to beat them 4-0. What a boxing day that was. I decided to take my boy up to Liverpool v Wolves 
Wolves were 19th in the division, so I was thinking lots of goals and an easy win. Uh, unfortunately, Liverpool lost 1-0 on the day. It was an awful game. The weather was terrible, and that signalled the end of the Roy Hodgson era. Around seven years ago, I took my now wife on one of our first dates to Newcastle away. In horrific weather conditions, she managed to slip on her backside and wasn't too impressed when we had to climb up the 3,000 steps to the away end at St James's. But we won 3-1. I thought we were onto something special, and it turned out to be true because that summer we won the FA Cup. <laughs> Every cloud has a silver lining. Um, this is what Sam has to say about Christmas. The players are never real on Christmas Day when I'm the manager. I hated it as a player. It's a complete waste of time. I mean, that will buy him some immediate favours in the dressing room, that won't it? <laughs> yeah, it will, but if they get beat on Boxing Day, I'm not sure the fans will be happy with it. Perhaps not. Did you used to train on Christmas Day, all of you? Uh, depends really what type of manager you yeah. really. Most I did. Um, Bobby Robson was the only manager I think that was pretty pretty against it, uh, and he was very much. I remember him saying to me, "We were playing Bolton or Blackburn away one year," and he said to me, "Look, go home Christmas Day and just meet us at the uh, hotel Christmas night." So I had a lovely day back home. Met with the team Christmas night. Turned up Boxing Day. Got beat three 0 <laughs> <laughs> Didn't it work didn't, out. Didn't happen again. Did it not? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> radio Christmas. I suppose it, it does depend on your manager, doesn't it? Did you did you like football at Christmas? Um, so intense, I used to love all it? the fixtures, and, yeah. I, and I like the way it continues through. For me, I think we should have a break early in January for a week or ten days for that winter break to help the national team and stuff. But yeah, I used to love the Christmas fixtures. We can't I, get I rid actually, of Christmas. I didn't used to mind training on Christmas Day. It just meant you could eat more sweets in the afternoon. You and your sweet tooth, man. Yeah. Amazing. What about you, John? Yeah, we used to we used to come in Christmas um, night and work under the floodlets, but it was never a lot of work. It was just a little loosener. You know, get your dinner out of the system, and and then we and then we'd um, we'd be taken to a hotel, ready for the Boxing Day game. But a lot, Martin and Neil used to like doing that because a lot of us had a, had, a, had big families and, and kids and mm. young kids, and he would always feel by taking us away away into a hotel we'd get a better rest. That sort of first Christmas though, once you've all retired, I mean that must really stand out as like the first time for 20 years you can just actually enjoy Christmas Day. You can have a glass of wine and mm. and enjoy oh. it and just. Switching out, off, eat as it? much as you want and yeah. switch off. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas when you've got games, it's difficult to juggle family games and, and stuff like that. I used to eat as much as I wanted anyway. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Did you not care? Not really. Not really, because I think uh, you know when you when you're training every day and stuff like that. You know, I don't think it really matters that much. A couple of pound over. For yes. Yeah. What's a couple of pounds? It doesn't really matter. A bit more weight in the tackle that well, way. No, isn't well, it? I remember speaking to Gaza once, and Gaza always felt he was better when he was a couple of pounds overweight. When he lost too much weight, he felt a little bit weaker. He always felt a little bit better as a player, that little bit more heavier. You know, I always felt the same way as that as well. So you're like you're super disciplined. When we're sitting here eating pies, you've often got some like salad out of a pot or something. Were you a turkey, roast potatoes on Christmas Day? Um, I'd have a small a small plate, yeah. But I mean, once it got to like I don't know half half six, you know, seven o'clock ish, I'd, I'd be gone. Yeah, I'd be upstairs in my room, just like leave me alone, don't talk to me. Would you? Like, so, and you you wouldn't do the desserts. Oh yeah, yeah do the full lob, like John. Just get it just in. Go for it. <laughs> Work it all off the next day. Um, Hope says, um, ask the guys if they think Boxing Day and New Year's Day games, where possible, should be local derbies. It's quite. It adds mm. a little bit to it, doesn't it? And they they do do that. They're... I think they should be local games in, in yeah. terms of the fans, so they don't have to travel, you know, all over the country and stuff. Um, but I wouldn't want a, a Merseyside derby on Boxing Day or New Year, just in case it went the wrong way. 
Ruin your Christmas, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, Bernard Carthy says, did you have any teammates who would deliberately get suspended for Boxing Day games or you always just knew they were looking for a little yellow or red card? Takes a lot of planning, that, you know. It does. It does. That's what people get me wrong. Yeah, explain it, because people often say this. Yes, but, you know, to kind of be... Get your five, yeah. Yeah, getting the five yellows right in time to... Go bosh! There you go. Have that before Christmas Day. It take, yeah, you got to be planning that a couple of months before. It's true. <laughs> I, I got left out once in the very last game of the season because I was on four bookings. So if I get another one, it carries on into the next season. Yeah. We just would have made my pre-season that much longer. So I was left out in the last game. So I'm ready then to attack pre-season right from the off the following season. There you go. That's worth getting on for that, isn't it? That's a good reason. Thanks for listening to the Premier League Tonight podcast. We're back on December the 30th when Manchester United play Southampton at Old Trafford, so be sure to join us then. And if you enjoyed this week's show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Happy Christmas from everyone at Premier League Tonight. See you at Old Trafford.